0: Hello everybody, welcome to Brisky Business. This program this week's gonna be an absolute riot and I'll get to that in a moment. keep sending me your notes, your emails at briskybusiness at ntvusa.com. We're gonna to continue to style the program to your interests. You know, we had some folks looking for different things. We've had now city officials, government officials, uh, all types of different walks of life, cause there's so many ways to earn a living out there and you have to find your passion. And uh, so keep letting me know what interests you. Go back and catch some of the other episodes if you'd like at NTV USA app. And you can find all the episodes for Brisky Business Living There. The program, we're gonna to continue to do it in these four segments: Brisk Business Basics, which is the foundational principles of business, Brisk Fire Bail, Brisk Bulls and Bears, Public Market Segment, and Brisk Best and Brightest really a segment that keys in on mentorship, but really the entire platform of Brisky Business is really about mentorship and finding paths and patterns and offering tips and tidbits to make uh, maybe your business life and your career path a little bit easier. So you know what, let's go ahead and get started. And today I've got a very, very special guest. Um, This man, he's born in New York, to Cuban immigrants. Uh, He's studied at Fordham University, and you uh, that watch this program know that Fordham uh, is near and dear to my heart. He's a graduate of Brooklyn Law School. He passed the New York Bar, the New Jersey Bar, the Florida Bar, so obviously a pretty smart guy. Uh, he admitted to practice in federal appellate courts and has published opinions on immigration and criminal matters in the Ninth and 11th circuits. So this guy's done some things. Uh, in 1998, he assisted in a pro bono capacity on a Honduran organization which assisted in obtaining TPS for Hondurans after Hurricane Mitch had struck, Uh, and he's been on various media platforms talking to the population of Honduras as to what uh, TPS uh, entails, Uh, and he was actually invited to Honduras to give some of those talks Uh, in 2000 through 2015, so quite a long run. He was a regular on Telemundo, which included coverage uh, of the Ilian Gonzalez case, which he also did some work on at the very end of the Ilian case, which is a very, very uh, large and and notable immigration case here uh, in the Miami area and the United States, really, and around the world, it went. Uh, He represented uh, pro bono as well. So this guy has a giving heart, five players and the coach of a Cuban soccer team in obtaining political asylum for them, Uh, currently practicing in a broad range of of legal capacities. And I think that's uh, really, really interesting. He's really spread his wings. uh, So all Although he's certainly an expert in immigration, he certainly has expertise in other uh, uh, forms of law that he practices. Um, He also has a program on NTV USA. In fact, it's right after my program about immigration and the borders. And a very, very interesting program. And uh, the best thing about this program for me is that he graduated in 1983 from Fordham. I graduated in 83 from Fordham. And frankly, uh, we have been friends since we started Fordham. 1979. Uh, So, this is a 40 plus year friendship uh, that we have that continues to be in the making. It's my pleasure to welcome Irving Gonzalez, attorney at law to Brisky Business. Irv, buddy, welcome to the program. How are you doing today?
1: Thank you, my friend. Doing very well. It's a pleasure being on this program with you. Thank you for the invite.
0: Oh, my my pleasure. I would be on your program, but since it's all in Spanish, and my Spanish is so, so solid, you know, we wouldn't want anyone to feel less than if they were to hear me speak Spanish on your program. So I've had to avoid that. Sorry. Uh, so as you know, buddy, this is Brisk Business Basics. And uh, you know what? You've got a pretty esteemed career and an unbelievable path. You're the first attorney we've ever had on the program. And obviously, there's a lot out there that'll be graduating law school and so forth. And uh, you have a lot of interesting things to say about this, but why don't you take us back to when you graduated Brooklyn Law, is that where you graduated? And tell us about that early career and what kind of path you took and maybe what advice uh, comes out of that based on your experience now.
1: Absolutely, well, that's right. I graduated Brooklyn Law back in uh, February of 1987. Should have graduated in 86, but after my first year of law school, I decided to work full-time and go to school at nights, since I was working uh, at a brokerage firm in uh, on wall street doing pension plans that's basically what i wanted to do while i was going through law school and after i graduated i decided what i'm going to do is work as in uh, house counsel for this multinational company and just write pension plans i never wanted to see the inside of a courtroom never wanted to practice law per se except in that capacity and uh then unbeknownst to me my life totally changed when i moved back to florida
0: And how did it change? I mean, so you're in New York and first of all, what made you move back to Florida? Why did that happen? And then how did it change so profoundly?
1: Well, what made me move back to Florida is my parents were here. My parents always lived here, even though I thought that I would always stay in New York. Um, And then I met somebody who I'm now divorced from, but was ultimately uh, my my wife, the mother of, uh, of my daughter. And I decided to move to Florida and I had to start all over here because As you said before i was admitted or i had passed the uh, new york and new jersey bar exams never intending to take the florida bar exam then i found myself here in florida not being able to practice as an attorney starting to work at a firm as a as a law clerk and having to take the bar exam while i was already admitted to practice somewhere else but not able to practice my profession when i was here
0: so that probably in itself in this segment is probably pretty good advice, right? When you first get started, you know, take those opportunities um, that you know just come your way because you never know what path it might put you on.
1: Absolutely. You know, we, we go to school, as we all know, we decide on a career, we decide on a career path. But as you said, you have to keep your eyes open because there's always roads that you could veer off of or there's something right in front of you that you're like, this is, this is my path, this is what I need to do. It's not always what we set out to do that we ultimately do. And I'm an example of that. I started working clerking here at a firm that did real estate work. So I learned about the real estate uh, all the way from title policies, to sale of the property. They did some probate work. So I learned about some probate work. I learned a a lot about general law. Things as I said that when I was going to law school, I never had an interest in, nor did I ever think that I wanted to do.
0: You know, I think that's the most interesting thing really about your uh, law career is that it became such a well-rounded career. You know, everyone thinks of you as an immigration attorney and you are an incredible immigration attorney, but really your practice has transcended over time to give you a very, uh, you know, someone that would have uh, a lot of value, um, as a lawyer.
1: Well, it has after that firm, I decided for, for reasons, uh, not getting along with some of the attorneys there, uh, as you and I have spoken about in the the past, I decided to go off and work for another attorney as I was now becoming an attorney in Florida. And his practice was primarily in the criminal arena. So I learned how to do a lot of uh, criminal work, uh, not only state, but mostly federal criminal work. So that opened other doors up for me, which also dovetailed with immigration, because some people that are immigrants in this country uh, first come to an attorney because they've had some type of legal issue, legal problem. Now they need to get their legal issues straightened as well as their immigration issue, which could be uh, losing their residency or something like this. So. So, yeah, everything that I've done, as you say, has kind of dovetailed to where I'm at today.
0: So ultimately, we know that you've started your own firm and have your own firm right now. And I know there's folks out there that have graduated law school or been out a few years. What advice can you give them? Uh, they, they're always saying, I'm ready to start my own firm. What type of advice can you give them?
1: Make sure that you're ready to start your firm. In, in my case, I was kind of forced to do it the attorney that I was working with at the time, or working for really at the time, he was indicted in a federal uh, criminal case. Obviously nothing to do with me. I wasn't involved in anything that, that he had to do. But now I found myself at a point where he was gonna close down his practice. I didn't wanna be related to that practice. So it was tough to get a job somewhere else. And that's when I decided to go out on my own. I kind of was forced to go out on my own. So it's, it's, a, it's not very easy. So. If you're not ready to do it and you have other avenues open to you, even if it's not necessarily working as an attorney in a, in a law firm, hanging your shingle, so to speak, or working in a company, do that until you're really ready, until you kind of have a little bit of a book of business that maybe will help you through those first few months.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that can be uh, super difficult. And that's like in any business. And I think people miss that, right? You run a business. And I've, I've met with people that said, I'm going to, you know, they're graduating school, and I'm going to start my own firm right, right away. And I think they, they miss out on the fact that you're running a business as well, aren't you? I think we've got about a minute. So it's not just the legal side. You got a business to run, don't you?
1: Without a doubt, you have to run a business. You have to make sure the payroll is met. You have to pay your rent. You have to pay for everything. So you have to have both hats on you have to have the businessman but you also have to wear that hat as an attorney
0: and how difficult is that just getting started to wear both hats
1: it's it's really difficult Dave it's it's difficult to the point where there were times when you know I paid everybody else except for myself because you had to uh, meet commitments um so it wasn't the easiest start but it got us to where we're at
0: today. Yeah, I mean, you have fought through it, right? You know, the last, uh, you know, I always have a coffee cup and I got this one for you that we'll get through in a later segment, but you know, right. I've used one that said never, never give up. And I know that was your case. And I also know that you have a huge heart for pro bono work. And now you're in this situation where you're in your own firm and it's probably very, very difficult to even consider doing pro bono work when you're you know, when you're trying to also earn a paycheck for yourself.
1: It is, but you know what? and something that's so important, I think you gotta give back to the community. And if you don't give back to the community, then you're not doing a service to yourself or to anyone else. So you're absolutely right. Being, working for yourself, you need to make that money. You need to make the paycheck. You need to be able to pay everything. But one advice that I could also give people starting out is never lose track of that. Never lose track that there's something bigger out there, that there's a bigger goal, a bigger mission for all of us. And by helping others, You eventually really are helping yourself. You're reaping those benefits in one way or another.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense, man. It really, really does. You know, it's it's so cool to have a conversation uh, with you hanging out. Um, you know, 40-something year friendship, you know, here we are, I don't know, we end up on the same platform, on a media platform, one show after the other. So, brisk buyer bail. So, this is the decision-making process, and I have to imagine a man in your position with the number of clients that you're talking to on a daily basis, you're making buyer bail decisions on a continual basis. You know, tell me about, you know, what process you go through in making uh, a buyer bail decision, and it might even be when you're interviewing a client. I, I, I really don't know, I've never been an attorney before. So tell me about that.
1: Well, it is, it all starts when you interview that client. They will go ahead and explain to you why they're there, what their problem is. And sometimes you can't do anything. And if you can't do anything, the best thing you can do for that client or that prospective client at that point is say, listen, today, the way the law stands, there's nothing you can do. Don't waste your money, don't do anything. Don't try to file any papers that are only gonna get you into more trouble just sit and wait, let's see if the laws change, let's see if something happens in the future. And unfortunately, I have to tell that to a lot of people on a daily basis, but, but that's the reality. We can't take a case on when we know we can't do something for someone.
0: Wow, that, and that happens more often than you might think then. Right, it, it
1: does. I would say, you know, uh, 70 to 80% of the people that I sit down with really don't have any immediate form of relief. I've had people that I've told this to and years later now they're all of a sudden they do have a form of relief and they've come back. But, you know, they have to wait out the process. It's sometimes a waiting game.
0: I understand. And that's uh, that's your integrity showing through, because I'm sure there's cases where people will take on a check just the same. And I I know uh, I know that's why your reputation is so stellar down here, because you're going to tell people like it is. And the truth, wow, it really matters in your profession, doesn't it?
1: yes it does and we try and unfortunately people sometimes don't want to hear the truth people want to hear what they want to hear but i think the job of of anybody not only an attorney but anybody who's a professional is to tell people the way things really are not just tell them not just give them lip service and say oh yes this is how it is no the reality of your situation is this this is what could happen and i think you need to tell everybody all the negative as well as all the positive that can happen i i don't consider myself and you know me a pessimist I'm I'm a realist, and that's what I try to do not only in my life but in business, and show that to people.
0: You know, Irv, you've uh, you got that other thirty percent that obviously have the potential to become clients. Do the one hundred percent of those other thirty? Are they always buy decisions for you to take them on as a client?
1: Not at all. There's there's sometimes cases where I, I get that feeling, and I think it's that feeling that we get uh, from practicing for so long that there may be an issue here and if there's an issue i go through a whole nother process with those people before uh, i take on their representation
0: and what does that other process look like
1: that other process let's assume that somebody that comes in on a marriage interview they've married a united states citizen if i get a gut feeling that there may be something wrong there i will take that couple i will separate them and i will go through a marriage interview as though they were at immigration if i see that the answers to the questions that i'm asking and they're going to be well, sometimes they're actually tougher than some of the immigration officers ask. If they can't satisfy me that this is a real marriage, I will not do it. I, I had a case, for example, where an attorney from another country came in and said, my son's going to marry someone. Please, we want you to represent them. I separated them, and I said to them afterwards, listen, this isn't a real marriage. Their, the answer, the parents' answer was, oh, but it will be a real marriage in the future. I said, well, if it's ever a real marriage, let me know. Bottom line is, they came back to me years later. The kid was in deportation proceedings and he was ultimately deported for marriage fraud. Uh,
0: well, you know what? It's great that you have an eye and an ear for that to keep yourself out of trouble. And frankly, you'd be keeping them out of trouble if they'd listen. Uh, but I, I find that uh, that's interesting, right? You, I guess you just can't let the financial gain steer your acceptance of a client, can you?
1: You can't. And when we were talking about that earlier about people going in business, uh, starting business, you can't do that. Because once you do that, the integrity is lost, which, which you're really set out to do is lost. So if you can't represent somebody zealously, but knowing that your representation is a righteous representation of that person, then the suggestion is don't do it, even if the money's there, even if you need the money, do something else with your life, with
0: your career. But you got some, you know, that's kind of the negative side of it, but I would have yeah. to imagine you got some pretty gratifying experiences in your line of work.
1: I have, uh, and some of, them, some of them were paying clients, and some of them were clients who were pro bono. I've had cases of people at one point, uh, some people were being detained or at airport expense in a hotel if they did what they call transiting without a visa. And I, I had this one lady in particular who was um, from Liberia, and when we got to the courtroom setting with the judge, with the prosecutor, she starts to testify about how she was brutally raped. Uh, because she went out in search of her grandfather, who had been, she found out later on, tortured and killed by these people. And, you know, the courtroom, believe it or not, everybody in the courtroom started crying with this lady's testimony. We were able to have her obtain her her status in this country. She received her asylum, ultimately became a citizen of this country. And that's gratifying, because that's what our immigration laws are for, to help people like that, who really become part of our society. And... And do something for this country.
0: Wow, that's that can be very powerful. And I know you've had a number of cases. You've also had some pretty famous clients over the years as well. What is that like working with you know s- s- clients like that?
1: It's uh, you know a- a- as a kid, you always think, oh, I get uh, I, one day maybe I'll meet somebody famous. Um, it- it's pretty gratifying. I mean, I've represented people in the soap opera in- industry uh, because of my connections with Telemundo during the news. I was able to represent a lot of people that start in their soap operas for them to obtain their residency. I've I've uh, represented a couple of uh, baseball players, uh, one in particular with his citizenship, um, and and it's pretty gratifying to be able to help these people as well, you know, and uh, and just to be able to call them somehow, you know, an acquaintance, a friend. One of them uh, actually had, you know had a friendship with um, and, and it's pretty gratifying one to be able to help them and to know that somebody that we see on tv that we think is is has everything and needs for nothing that someone is able to help them obtain a status obtain a better life as it were in the united states by having that citizenship or that residency here
0: yeah i i, I remember i think um didn't she also represent el Duque with the mets is that who he played for
1: I, I did. He played, uh, he actually played for the Yankees and he played for the White Sox and he played, uh, he finished his career w- with the Mets. Yes, I was able to represent him. I was, I obtained him as a client because of a friend that I had at Telemundo, who was actually one of the people that he came to this country with. So I was able to obtain that. And because of my representation of his body and of him, of the of Duques, uh, he gave me, wish it would have been a Yankees since I'm a big Yankees fan, but he gave me one of his game jerseys from the White Sox.
0: Oh wow! And how and, and how gratifying was it to represent him? And where was the ultimate result? Was he did he become a citizen here? He became a citizen of the United States. It was it was so
1: gratifying uh, to be able to help him because he is really the nicest person or one of the nicest person people that you will ever meet in your life. Uh, really down to earth. He's not what everybody speaks about. You know these ball players and stuff. And you know you you've you've met a lot of uh, football players, a lot of sports personalities. Who are good friends of yours, who you know aren't that persona on TV, and to meet somebody like him and see what he's like was just so gratifying, and being able to help
0: him. Well, that's that's awesome, and that's that's the good side of uh, of what you do. So we've got about a, a minute left. Tell me about um, your experience with the um, at the very end. I know you you started covering the whole alien case in 30, 40 seconds at the end. That became a big thing. What was that like near the end? Uh, I know you got involved at the very end of that case.
1: I was able to get involved, as you said, at the end. I Because since I was covering it for, for Telemundo, I really wasn't able to work on it. But when I was able to speak to uh, Manny Diaz, who's one of the people that, that, that at the very end, took, well, towards the middle of it, took a lot of control of the case, I started working on the appeals. Um, and it was really tough because it, this was a kid that really should have stayed in this country. There's a lot of things that happened behind the scenes, there are a lot of things that happened that a lot of people don't know of. And and just to have heard that, to have heard that from his family here in Miami, to have heard about his dad and what his dad really wanted for him, uh, for Elion, uh, it it was gratifying to help, but it was so emotional when that little boy was put on that plane and taken back to to that country, because you knew that his life would really never be a normal life and would never be the same again.
0: Well, I'm sure he appreciates the effort. I know the family did in all of that. But, you know, things don't always end as, uh, as we want them to. So listen, man, that went by super fast. We're going to wrap up this segment right here, and we're going to be back uh, as we've just concluded Brisk Buyer Bail. We'll be back with Irv Gonzalez, attorney of law with Brisk Bulls and Bears next.